All right, if you got your Bible and you turn to Luke chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 2, we're also going to have some supporting scriptures in Isaiah, but that's in your outline. It'll be on the screen so you can follow along. Um, I'm in the CSB, so if you have the Version Bible app, you can follow along word for word. Um, but it was around 733 BC that God's people um, faced a crisis when Assyria, um, their um, uh, enemy, threatened to not only invade them, but to attack them. And we see in the scripture that God was going to allow this because the people had brought it upon themselves. If you look in, and if you want something to study this week um, and and to read through, um, you can look through the early chapters of Isaiah and see this play out. But I'm going to highlight just a few verses and just tell you what those verses um, are referring to and what was taking place in those verses. I'm not going to read them all, just one. Um, But in chapter 1, verse 2, it tells us that the people had rebelled against God. So just in that alone, here is um, God is, um, you know, their God, they are his people, and they've rebelled against him. That alone, you know, kind of opens the door for God to say, hey, if you want to do your own thing, I'm going to let you do your own thing and face your own consequences. But in chapter 1, verse 4, we see that the nation is sinful. In fact, the verse says, O sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity brood of evildoers. This is God talking to the Israelites, calling them a brood of evildoers. These are the people that he has chosen, that he calls his own. Depraved children, they have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned their backs on him. So that's given us a a clear picture of what is taking place leading up to what we're going to talk about today. But in verse 7, it tells us that the land is desolate. It says foreigners will devour their resources. That's talking about the invasion that is coming. In verse 11 through 15 of chapter 1, it tells us that the people's worship is detestable to God. That would be like us gathering together today, um, preparing to worship God in singing, in song, in word, in, in deed, in, in whatever way we're worshiping him. And at the end of the day, uh, maybe he speaks from heaven or maybe a prophet comes in, which we don't have prophets in that way today, but he, it would be like a messenger from God coming and saying, everything you did today is detestable to God. Yeah, you're saying that you're worshiping him. Yeah, you're going through all the motions, but he is detested by it, mainly because you've turned your back on him, mainly because you're rebelling, maybe, mainly because you're living in sin and yet wanting to come and gather together and say that you're worshiping him. In chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, you will see that God's people had adopted sinful practices. Um, the Bible says that they had participated in magic or divination, greed, warfare, and idolatry. In verse 11 of chapter 2, it tells us that the people were full of pride. In chapter 3, verse 4, it tells us that they had a crisis of leadership. The people would be governed by unstable rulers, or what the Bible says was mischief makers. Sounds like politicians. Chapter 3, verse 5 tells us people oppressed each other and their neighbors. So, So this is what's taking place in the early parts of Um, Isaiah, and this is what he is uh, addressing with the people. In fact, listening to that, you might say that sounds very much like our modern day and our modern times when you look at some of the characteristics of what was taking place and what was happening, not just among the world, because there were the Jews and there were the Gentiles, Um, That was kind of expected of the world. That was kind of expected of the Assyrians. Those aren't God's people. 
But these are God's people participating in these things. And so with a pending invasion and um, a subsequent kind of um, uh, captivity that would follow that, Israel's leader Ahaz would have plenty of reason, as we were talking about last week, you know, having reasons to worry and, and having anxiety and fear. Could you imagine a massive army on your doorstep preparing to invade? and you're the weaker force, you don't have the manpower, you don't have the weapons, you would probably be overtaken by fear. You would probably be overtaken by anxiety. And while he had every reason to do so, the Isaiah, the prophet, tells him to trust in God, tells him not to trust in man or their weapons. In the midst of this self-inflicted crisis and what is taking place here, God still promises to ultimately um, take care of his people. God's always promised to take care. Even if it was a small remnant, he has always delivered his people. He's always delivered those who are faithful and to those who are not perfect, but they're faithful. They're, they're not perfect, but they live to honor God. They're not perfect, but they reject the things of the world rather than give in to those ideologies and those beliefs and those lifestyles. In Isaiah 7, 14, you will see, um, we've looked at this verse um, and, and the, some of the following ones um, throughout this series, and every Christmas we kind of look at them. But the scripture says, the Lord himself will give you a son. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel, which we saw in Matthew throughout the series, which translates to God is with us. So, so in the midst of their rebellion and in the midst of a deserved crisis because of their sin and because of their rejection of God, because of embracing the things of the world, in the midst of that, God still shows grace to them and kindness, kindness to them, them and says, look, I'm ultimately going to deliver you. I'm going to send the Messiah. I'm going to send the Deliverer. And it's not just a man. And it's not just a warrior. But it is Emmanuel. It is my very presence. It is God with you. You can write this down. Christmas reminds us God is with us in times of crisis. This, this isn't really, really the overarching theme of the, the message, but that's what we see when you look at the contextual history of what's taking place here with Isaiah. They're in rebellion. They deserve this invasion, and yet in the midst of it, we're promised a savior. We're promised a king. We're promised a deliverer. We're promised that God is going to be there in the midst of the trouble. And so Isaiah warns Judah of the the consequences of their rebellion. Isaiah 8, 22 tells us, they will look towards the earth and see only distress, darkness, and the gloom of affliction, and they will be driven into thick darkness. This is what a life absent of God's presence looks like. Distress, darkness, and gloomy affliction. This was the reality of their sin. And for some of you, it's the reality of your sin, or it's the reality that you've lived in your past life of sin and your past rebellion of God, and you understand that it was full of distress, and you understand that it was full of gloomy affliction and darkness, and so you understand the, the reality of that as well in your own life. You, some of you may be here today just visiting, or you might join online you, you might have a family member that you can think of outside of the walls of the church that that would mark their life. 
That, that would be the description of their life, that they are dealing with the distress, the darkness, the gloomy affliction. In fact, for, for most of the part, especially um, I, you know, working with people dealing with addiction and those type things, oftentimes we can see it in their life quicker than they can. We, we see the destruction and we see the distress and we see the darkness before they do. And that's why it's so difficult sometimes to see family members going through um, the consequences of their sin because you see the destruction and yet they can't see it. You, you, they, you see the consequences and they can't see it. It takes them longer to see it. And yet it's within this reality of the darkness and the distress and the gloomy affliction that God once again in his grace, promises his presence to the people through his son. Isaiah 9, 6, which we have looked at in this series, says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And once again, it's amazing. It's kind of like the person who can't see the consequences of their sin, even though you see it. Isaiah can see it. He's the prophet who has to come and deliver this message to a stiff-necked people, to a group of people who will not listen, who will hear but will never believe, who, who will hear the truth and never embrace it and accept it. This is the message and the mission that he was called on. But it's amazing because there, there's a, a, a pending um, invasion, and once again, there's a a subsequent captivity in Babylon that will follow that. Like, like it's going to get really bad for them. And yet in the midst of this, it's all because of their sin. And God promises them and offers them grace and tells them what he is going to do for them, even in the midst of their sin. And yet it, it's not good enough to turn them. It's not good enough for them to abandon their sin and to turn back to God. Even though he is promised this Messiah and promised this deliverance, they ignore his warnings and they continue in their rebellion. Once again, sounds very familiar. We understand the world's going to live in rebellion against God because they don't have a relationship with him. That's why they are sinners. That's why they are the world. That is why in the Bible it was the Gentiles because those were the ones who were outside of God's chosen people. And so we understand that. As a church, we, and as Christians, we have to get to the point where we understand lost people are going to live like lost people. One of the worst things we can do is call people to a level of morality that Christians are called to when they're lost. Because we don't want to just preach morality. We don't want them to just become good people. Because we don't want them to be confused that because I'm a good person or I do these spiritual things, I'm good enough in God's eyes. Yes, we, we want a morally good world. We don't want people to steal from us. We don't want people to kill people. We don't want any of that. But we also don't want to mislead people that because they are good, they are good with God. And so we have to be very careful. We have to understand that lost people are going to act like lost people. They're going to talk like lost people. They're going to act like lost people. And we have to understand that and give grace to that, understanding the condition of their heart and their condition between them and God. But the problem is, and this is where we're called to judge one another, is within the household of faith. It's when those who profess a faith in Jesus, and we are really a picture of Israel in this sense, these are God's chosen people. 
You have been chosen in Christ Jesus, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, um, when you have become saved, when you've been adopted into the family. That's when it's a problem when we choose to rebel against God and we embrace the ideologies and the lifestyles of the world and we participate in those things that oppose God. And most importantly, that God opposes just this month, over the last several weeks, we've seen politicians who profess a faith in Jesus. They profess Christianity, vote to approve a Respect for Marriage Act, which when you break it down and look at it, doesn't respect marriage at all. Instead, what it does is it disrespects God's design for marriage, and it makes a mockery of what He has made holy. That's just one example of politicians, when we talk about rulers and we talk about um, uh, mischief makers, that's why I said it sounds like politicians, who profess Christianity yet vote on bills and support things that God opposes, that God has clearly defined in his word. We could go down a list of things. We could go down um, through, through choices that you and I make, lifestyles. We could go through a list of things that God opposes that Christians have actively engaged in and participate in, even in our modern day. And despite God's warning and even his, um, uh, you know, uh, pending destruction at the end of, the, the, of our life, what is to come if we are not in Christ Jesus, that eternal damnation and separation from God for eternity. There's that warning in Scripture, all through Scripture. Jesus talked about it often, and yet we have that warning, but then we have the warning for those of us who are in Christ Jesus of the discipline of a loving father if we are to rebel against him because he chastises, he disciplines those whom he loves, and yet we will receive that warning and we will still rebel against God. We'll still go our own way. We'll still ignore it and do our own thing. We are no different than Israel. That's why it sounds so familiar. That's why we can identify on a human level um, exactly what is the, the, the God's chosen people, the Israelites, were doing in this moment. Despite God's warning, they continued on. They continued to ignore and uh, live their life the way that they wanted to. And so despite this threat of invasion, the promise of the mighty God and Prince of Peace would be welcome news. We have, this, we have this invading army. We have this invading force. I would love for there to be a Messiah, the, 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 the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. But that promise wasn't immediately fulfilled. That's what brings us to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. When an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Over 700 years later, after what we just read in Isaiah was taking place, the promised Messiah is now born. The the Jews are oppressed again, this time by the um, Roman Empire. And so um, this long-promised Messiah, um, if, if everyone had known, if the birth announcement had been made to everyone, would have been welcome. They would have been expecting that this Jesus, this ruler, would grow and would become a great warrior and ruler to deliver them from this oppressive Roman ruler. In fact, that's what many believed he could potentially be doing as he did get older and he entered into his ministry. But, but this long-promised Messiah, the mighty God and Prince of Peace, was not here to rule on the earth, but to fulfill a greater mission. As the angel delivers this birth announcement um, the, to the shepherds, he says this in verse 10, "'Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people.'" Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. You can write this down, and I think there's a typo here, but the the good news of salvation is not exclusive. The good news of salvation is not exclusive. It is available to all types of people. It is available to all types of people. The angel made his only public announcement of Jesus' birth to low-income, blue-collar workers. They weren't rich. They weren't politicians. They weren't powerful. They weren't rulers. They were like many of us, just normal, everyday, hardworking people on the job, out in the field, doing what they do. They were dirty. They were smelly. They were tired. They, They were just engaged in what they did. And this message was brought to them, this public message. And the angel said this good news of great joy was for all people. This isn't referring to universalism. This isn't saying that, you know, Jesus, because he died on the cross and resurrected, now everybody is saved and everybody's going to be saved. That's not what that's talking about. What it's talking about when it says all is literally, it literally means a collective group, all types every type. So it's, it's talking about every category of people. Now, we're the ones who put categories and lines and labels on people. And, and so he's speaking to that. He's speaking to our humanity, saying all types of people that this good news of great joy would be for. And then that word people means actually people groups, tribes, and nations. And so the angel was proclaiming that the good news of salvation is available to every type of person, from every nation, from every tongue, from every tribe. There was no dividing and no division on this. Poor, rich, upper class, middle class, lower class, and no class. Like maybe me. Black, brown, white, peach, or any other shade of color. Asian, African, European, Latin, or any other nationality. 
male or female. Unlike how we draw those dividing lines and we put people in categories, God does not do that with the gospel. It is for every type of person. So every type of person that you can think of and that you can put in a category, he says this gospel is for everyone, for every type of person. It's not exclusive to certain types of people. It's available to everyone. And that's why he's bringing it to the low income, the, the blue collar workers. He didn't bring it to the rulers. He didn't bring it to the politicians. He didn't bring it to the spiritual leaders. He brought it to the shepherds. And he says, this good news of great joy that Christ is bringing, that this Messiah is bringing, is available to everyone, just as I have sent it to even the lowest of society. And so it's not exclusive. It's available to every type of person. But then look at verse 13 and 14. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. He, he just changed things up a little bit. You can write this down. Peace on earth between God and man is exclusive. Peace on earth between God and man is exclusive. It's only available to one group of people. It's only available to one group of people. The KJV and New King James Version both use the terminology that says, and on earth peace toward men. But most modern translations like the CSB, the ESV, and others um, utilize transcripts, copies of the originals that go closer to the time of the original. So they're more accurate than those that were later because they're copies of copies of copies of copies. And so once you get so far down the line, there can be uh, notes in the footnotes that get added and things like that. And so you have more modern copies, um, or, or the modern uh, translations use copies that are closer, and there's more of them um, to the originals. And so most of them use terminology that essentially say this, peace on earth to people he favors, or as the ESV says, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, this is very important because Jesus didn't come to just blanketly hand out peace to everyone on earth. There's nothing in scripture that supports that. You can say, well, Nick, I mean, it says he's going to be the prince of peace. It does say he's going to be the prince of peace. It doesn't say to whom, except it does say to whom. It doesn't say that he's going to be the prince of peace to everyone, to every nation, to every group. It doesn't say that. It says that he will be the Prince of Peace, but it's an exclusive group that he's a, the Prince of Peace too. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. So when you're not getting along with your daughter's mom, you can say, praise Jesus, it worked. It has happened. Jesus fulfilled his promise. But he says, I came to bring a sword. I, I came to divide. I came to bring division. So how can Jesus be both Prince of Peace and tell us that part of his greater mission is to cause division, not to bring peace, but a sword. 
How is it that um, the, the Israelites, one of the things that you see in the early Isaiah, things that it said that they were giving themselves over to was like um, magic and greed and warring with other nations and with one another. H- how is it that the Prince of Peace has come to bring a sword to divide? In fact, one of the other gospels uses that very terminology, division. And so how can we look to Jesus as being the way, the truth, and the life, as we talked about last week, as we're looking for hope and we're looking for a solution to life's problems and our own sin and the things that cause us anxiety, the things that cause us to worry and to get nervous? How can we look to Jesus for those things, to have peace in those things, when he himself said that he wants to divide people? I mean, if anything gives us anxiety, it's the division that we face in our interpersonal relationships. So how is it that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and yet he's also the one that brings a sword to divide even homes and households? That, that in the households, the members, there would be a man's enemies. Well, Ephesians 2 tells us in verse 11 through 20, It says, so then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus... You who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace." He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. He tells us in this passage, and Corel can go ahead and make his way up. Um, I'm going to let you all out early today. Um, But he tells us in this passage that anyone who is not in Christ is a hostile enemy of God. Like, like there is no peace with God. You're far away from Him. Colossians even shares this, that that we're His enemies, separated from Him. And so if you're not in Christ, you are a hostile enemy of God, lost in their sins, excluded from belonging to the family of God. There's division just in and of itself. They're excluded from being citizens of heaven. For for those people who are not in Christ Jesus, and that could be you today. Today you could have religion. Today you could have some spirituality. Today you could have some head knowledge of God or of Christ. You know what Christmas is about. 
but you've really never trusted in him for your salvation. You're not in him. And for those, there is no peace. You are not a citizen of heaven. There's no peace with God, and there will be no lasting peace in this world full of brokenness. And that's why I said last week, for those of us who are in Christ, it should be different for us. Because those who are not in Christ, there cannot be lasting peace in a world full of sin. But because the Son of God came to us, He lived a perfect life. He died the sacrificial death on the cross for our sins. And then He resurrected to new life. Those who place their faith in Him as Lord and Savior are no longer strangers, we're told in Ephesians. We're no longer foreigners. But now we are made fellow citizens and members of God's household. He tells us that it pleased God to not only uh, send his son for us, but to sacrifice himself for us so that we could be saved, so that we could be in relationship with him, so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. It pleased him to do that for us. And because he did that, for those who place their faith in him as Lord and Savior, stand to benefit. God took two different groups of people. He took the Jews and the Gentiles, and he made them into one new people. Their race, their nationality, their gender, their social status, none of that mattered. Now they're citizens of heaven, and they're one new people. Today, I don't care if you come from Mexico. I don't care if you come from Africa. I don't care if you come from the United States. I don't care if you came from Italy. I don't care where you came from. If you're in Christ Jesus, that is now secondary to the one new family and citizenship that you now have, and that is a citizen of heaven. That comes first. You're a, you're a part of the household of God. So, so we now belong to one new family and one new nation. It is no longer the United States over this Russia or over this country. And it's okay to have pride in your country and where God allowed you to be born. But at the end of the day, if you're in Christ Jesus, you're a citizen of heaven. Your race doesn't matter. Your gender doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is the fact that he saved you, he reconciled you, and he has adopted you and brought you into the family. This exclusive group, those who are in Christ Jesus, it's an exclusive group because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That is exclusive. You have had to come into this family and come into this nation one way, one door, one path, one gate, Jesus. And if you have come by Jesus, it is exclusive. And this exclusive group are those whom God is well pleased with. Because the pleasure that he had in his son Jesus, he has now put that on you because of Jesus. That he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. He now sees you as righteous. He now sees you as his son, as his daughter, he is well pleased with you. Go back, John, I think it's chapter 4, where Jesus is um, baptized. John the Baptist baptizes him, and we see the dove, 
and, and we hear the voice from heaven. And what does the father say about his son? This is my son whom I'm what? Well pleased with. And now as his son or as his daughter, that pleasure is now extended to you. The only way that you have the favor of God on your life and the only way that he is well pleased with you is in Christ Jesus. He has now taken that pleasure and he has clothed you in it through his righteousness. And so this group are the only ones who can have peace with God and peace in this world despite the chaos. The good news of that is the good news that is of great joy is available to everyone. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your nationality. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your social status. It doesn't matter your wealth status. None of that matters. If you will place your faith in Christ for salvation, you can also be a part of this exclusive group. You can be adopted into it, not by your own power, not by your own will, not by your own doing, but because of what Christ has done. And so the gospel message is for everyone. You can receive that today. But to have that peace with God, it's exclusive. You will not find it in this world. But for those of us who are in Christ, it doesn't matter what chaos we find ourselves in. It doesn't matter what um, problems and troubles. We should be able to find peace because we belong to the mighty God. He is sovereign. He is fully in control. He holds us firmly in his grip. He is, he's not going to let you go. You can't jump out. You, can't, you cannot lose what you have been given in Christ Jesus. He holds you firmly. He loves you. And in that knowledge, knowing that this is just a speck of dust compared to eternity, we can have peace knowing that we belong to the Creator God, that He is our Father and we are His children. And so as long as there's sin and hostility against God, there will be chaos in this world. But you can have peace in the chaos. You can be held firm in the chaos because this Jesus, this gospel does divide. You will have people come against you. You will have people turn against you. The gospel divides uh, his people against the world. That's why the Israelites found themselves where they were. That's why some Christians find themselves under the discipline of God because he calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. The gospel calls us to be divided from the world, not to live according to its ideology, not to live according to its philosophy, not to live according to its lifestyle. So the gospel will divide. People might look at you and say, you're weird. They do all the time to me. I don't know why. I don't know if it's got to do with Jesus or something else. But they're going to look at you and they're going to say, there's going to be a division there because if there's hostility between the world and God, you don't think there's going to be hostility between the world and his children? Jesus was crucified, beaten, rejected, and you expect better? There will be division among God's people and the world. There's division with Christianity from other religions who when Christianity declares that Jesus is the only way to the Father, there's going to be division. Jesus divides. He's not here causing interpersonal division, 
But what he's saying in that passage is, if you come to Christ in this culture, they would literally have funerals for their family members as if they were dead. He's like, there's going to be a decision to be made. It's either your earthly family or it's me. And if you follow me, your earthly family might cut you off. They might reject you. So I've come to bring a sword because I'm going to divide the world, the hostile, from those who belong to me. I'm not calling you out to start trouble. I'm not calling you out to start fights. I'm not calling you out to be hostile. I'm calling you to be people of peace because that's what I'm offering you and that's what I'm giving you. And so that's the division. Our union with Christ divides us from those who are hostile to God. And so that's, that's the reality of belonging to God. And that's why I tell you, it's not just say this prayer and then you can check it off your religious box and be like, good, I'm secure and I can go to heaven. No, you say this prayer, you have a conversation with God, you believe in your heart, the Bible says, that he went to the cross, that he died for your sins. You believe that, you confess it with your mouth. And the Bible does say, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it's not like one and done, I'm good, I'm get to go to heaven. No, it's called you take up your cross and you follow me. That's what true salvation is. It's not about heaven. Heaven is just the cherry on top. Salvation is about changing your allegiance from the world to Jesus. And I will abandon the world and follow Jesus. I will face persecution if I have to, to follow Jesus. I will face death if I have to, to follow Jesus. That's true Christianity. And so today, you can belong to this exclusive group. But it's more than just calling yourself a Christian. And it's more than just uttering a bunch of words. It's choosing Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Because that's what he came declaring. That he was king. And that he was Lord. And one day he will come. And he will establish an eternal kingdom. And for those who belong to him, we will rest in that eternal kingdom with him where we will worship, where we will serve, where we will belong for eternity. And so today, I invite you and I welcome you into that family as Christ did. But I want you to know that it's not just words. It is a lifestyle. And that is where you will find your true peace. That is where you'll find your true hope. That is the people for whom God is well-pleased and favors. As I pray, I'm going to encourage you in this moment that if God's maybe speaking to you, whether you're joining us online, whether you're watching this 10 years from now, or whether you're sitting in these seats, and you know you've never placed your faith in Christ for salvation, you've never changed that allegiance from the world or even from religion to Jesus and to following after him, I'm going to give you that opportunity in this moment to have a conversation with God. There's no magic prayer to pray. It's simply acknowledging that you're a sinner, acknowledging that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and what he did on the cross is sufficient to be the full and complete payment for your sins. And it is confessing that to him, asking him to save you, and he will redeem you. He will reconcile you. It's a promise. And so you can have that conversation with him from the heart, Say what you need to say. But for the rest of us who are in Christ, I would encourage you to take this moment to pray for those who um, may need to, to um, make that 
decision to take that step of faith, but also maybe pray for yourself that you will find peace in the chaos because of who you belong to, that you will realize that you belong to the family of God and in him you have peace and you have life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the promise of the Messiah that no longer do we have to wait for him to come so that we might have life and we might have salvation, that we might have deliverance, but he has come and he has went to the cross and he has uh, made the way and paved the way for us to be saved, for, for us to be adopted into the family of God, for us to be a part of that group whom, for which you are well-pleased, for which your favor rests. And I thank you for that. I thank you for those who are here today that belong to the family of God. They're my brothers. They're my sisters. We're fellow citizens of heaven. We belong to the same nation, the nation of God, Christ's kingdom. I thank you for that. But Lord, if there is one here, if there's one joining online or maybe years down the road that might tune into this message, I pray, Father, that as you speak to them, they would answer that call, that they would cry out to you, that they would confess their sins, and that in this moment, they would place their full faith and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. And that today, or wherever and whenever that is, that they too will be welcomed into the family of God, that your family will continue to grow because of what Christ has done. We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for what he's done in each of our lives and what he's planning to do and what he's going to do in the lives of those who continue to hear this message of the gospel, the good news of great joy. We love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.